1: Welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central Podcast. My name is David McKenzie and you're probably saying, where is the Frenchman Christophe Mallet? Well, guess what? I've kicked him out of the chair this week. or oh, well, he's exited the chair. He's in Belgium. He's in Brussels. He's on some serious business over there. At last I heard, in fact, he was trying to find the great man himself, Eddie Merckx, but I think he ended up in a moule and frites restaurant. So he's sampling some of the goodness. But joining me in the studio today, the voice himself, Matthew Keenan. Great to have you on board. Thanks, Macca. And we've got a very special guest who is recently announced his retirement, and he's come home. I think especially just for this, Simon Gerrans, welcome.
2: Thanks, Macca. Um, Just this? Well, well, yeah. Let's say it is just (laughs) this. This is just just coming uh, to see you guys today. Yeah.
1: How's it feel? How's it feel? Because. 13, 14 years as a pro, but longer than that as an elite cyclist, it's a big part of your life. And then just like that, you've retired. It's been coming in your mind, I'm sure, but I'm sure there's a bit of adjustment.
2: Yeah, most definitely. Well, it's been the the big part of my life for basically 20 years now. Um, I've been traveling to Europe for about the past 18 years and I cycled for a couple of years leading up to that. Um, And it probably hasn't quite sunk in how big a transition that I'm currently going through, but it wasn't an overnight decision. I didn't just didn't wake up one day and say, this is it. Um, It was a long time coming for me. And there was obviously a lot of planning go into this sort of next phase of of my life and a new career. Um, So it's kind of feel like it's just, uh, you know, it's just an evolution of me as a person, basically.
0: You're renowned for your professional preparation and the guy that did everything right that didn't require talent. What's it like to wake up and not need to do those things, not need to go training, not worry if it's raining, not worry about the wind direction?
2: Um, I've just started worrying about other things, uh, to be honest with you. I'm about to step into a a new career and an industry that I know so little about. So basically, I've just refocused from preparing to cycle to the best of my ability to prepare a a new career and start learning as much as I can about the finance industry. Tell us about the role you've got. Um, Well, it's really interesting, actually, and... um, Goldman Sachs, who I'm going to be working with come January, have put together a fantastic sort of uh, internship program for me where over a six-month period I'm going to be working um, in sort of five different areas of the business. And just to learn a little bit about each area um, uh, over the course of a month, and hopefully by the end of sort of six months, um, we've kind of found a, found a position for me in an area that I've shown some interest in and an area that they think they can sort of teach me as well.
0: I heard you've been doing some transitional work already whilst you were still racing, spending some time in London, getting familiar with the office, those sorts of things. What's it like being a suit and tie guy?
2: I can't tell you is yet. But, yeah, I did d- do a lot of uh, travel back and forth to London over the past couple of years. But that was basically going through the interview process with Goldman's, um, which is quite extensive. I must have sat in close to 30 interviews uh, before I got this position. Um,
1: that's that's harder than getting a pro contract, I reckon. That's,
0: <laughs> that's more interviews than he did at the Tour de
2: France as a reporter. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, um, I've sort of read some some stats on these positions and they're uh, somewhere circa a quarter of a million applicants a year for an internship
0: role. At Goldman Sachs, but um, if you wear the yellow jersey at the Tour de France, you, you get the sure shortcut, the queue. You
1: go up the ladder a little bit faster.
0: Yes, I imagine. yeah, <laughs> most
2: definitely. So they have this program; it's um, quite uh, popular for, or quite renowned for, um, ex-army vets uh, that they take on army vets and, and develop a new career for them, and they take a few athletes uh, randomly as well, one or two a year uh, over the, over the the sort of. Entire globe of the business, so I was pretty privileged to get one.
0: Uh, you're managed by Andrew McQuaid in that regard. I've heard that you're the only name he considered putting forward.
2: True, true. Um, but Andrew knew that I was showing an interest in this in this industry as a transition after cycling. Um, and when he became aware of this of this internship program, um, he said, "I've presented this to you, but I wouldn't present this to all my athletes." So I was uh, I was I was really fortunate that uh, that through his sort of extensive network. Uh, In the UK, he was able to come across this.
1: I was going to say, you're not one to sort of sit still, I'd imagine, and, and sit around for too long. Let's go back and talk about your career because and we'll try and condense it. I think we'll have to, but amazing career. And I don't think for you at the end now of that, you'd say, gee, well, there's not too much I missed out on. What was there? What what did you miss out on in your mind? Was there something that you went, never quite got that? I've got one in my mind, but I want to hear it from you. Because you achieved, you're the only Australian to win two monuments, stage wins at the Tour, Yellow Jersey, Giro, Walter stage wins, um, plethora of other victories. But, you know, I'm sure your standards were very high.
2: Um, they got higher and higher throughout my career, obviously. When I first turned professional, I had, you know, re- winning a Classic was just something I never even dreamt of. Um so yeah, obviously my objective started out quite modest when I first turned professional. Oh firstly it was turning professional. And then once I turned professional, um I definitely wasn't thinking about winning classics or wearing the yellow jersey in the tour. So yeah, the objective sort of grew uh as I grew as a cyclist. Um and if I look back now, you know, if you'd offered me now what I have um at the beginning of my career. Um, obviously, it's time for it in a second, and I think most, most riders would. So I'd
1: just take a couple of your victories, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, going,
0: going back to getting that first pro contract, and you mentioned you were a lot more humble in your ambitions than what the CV ended up being, it was a tough journey. Were there a couple of moments where you thought, maybe I won't even make it? Oh, Many. Many, many
2: moments where I thought, you know, this is this is potentially uh, it. My, my final year I raced uh, amateur in France. I basically said, okay, if I don't make something of it this year, this is it. I sold my car to pay for an aeroplane ticket. I basically threw everything at it for one final crack. And that turned out to be a pivotal season for me um, and what really launched the, the, so my
0: career. So there could have been one crash away. From not achieving all those things that you've achieved that David referred to, extraordinary. And
1: I'm thinking that uh, the car you sold, what sort of car was it, if it was just to pay for an air ticket?
0: That oh, was an old Commodore station wagon, actually, oh, I, I love just got handed on it. to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you, so you had to work a little bit extra to be able to pay for the ticket as well. Yeah,
2: but going back to your question, I think, you know, in reflection, for me, the that one race that slipped through my fingers was a world title. Yep. And I think if I had have um, won a, a rainbow jersey at some point throughout my career, um, then I would really you know walk away feeling like I achieved everything.
1: It, it's quite um, ironic or funny when I, I was thinking about that world championship because that was the event, I guess, I was thinking about there wasn't much you could have done in those last few kilometres. And the, the one guy who was there with you, and I guess at the time you would have thought, oh, why didn't he bloody chase Alejandro Valverde, who's just gone on to win the world championship, do you have any regrets with tactics? I know that's a really harsh question when you're all done and dusted, but it, it's, you know, you, I, you can't have regrets, I guess, can you, in your career?
2: No, you can't have regrets. And you sort of do have those races that, that slip through your fingers like that. But then I turn around and I look at some of my other victories and it just fell my it fell my way perfectly. Yeah. And I was able to win uh, in, another, in another scenario where somebody else probably thought that they should have won, you know, so... In that race, yeah, I look back at it tactically because I did feel like I was the strongest guy in the race. I was the bookies' favourite going into it uh, by a long way to, mm. to win that world title. Um, and I just come up slightly short. But I don't think I can look back on Valverde. Uh, he didn't have a teammate there. There were two Belgians in the front group. Uh, Gilbert committed to chasing for um, um But, you know, at the end of the day, I just had to tip my hat to um, Kutowski for the move that he made. Attacking on a descent where no one was expecting Mm. it. There was a moment of hesitation, and that's all it took for him to Mm. win a world title.
0: It was a fantastic podium. Kwiatkowski winning, Guerin second, Valverde third. Every one of those won medals, you didn't lose first place. You won a silver medal that day. That was a phenomenal race. Of the races that you have won, I always said you had to be about 10% stronger than than you, than Simon Guerin's, to beat you. And I think your victory at Milan-San Remo proved that. What's the one race that you're proudest of tactically? Not strength, but tactically.
2: That's a good question. There's, um, like, I even look back to say my first professional victory uh, in in Europe was the Tour de there. You know, I was a complete unknown rider. I was coming to the finish with uh, three guys that were all stronger than me, um, and I was a- able to beat them on basically an uphill finish, uh, just from basically setting a tempo to get as far as far as I could. Let them attack me, and then. When I The the second they hesitated off the back of their attack, I was able to go straight over the top of them. So I think there are many moments like that where I look back on my career and they're probably some of my most proud victories where I know for a fact that I wasn't the strongest guy there. I was doing everything I could just to survive and stay in the front group and then able to finish it off with a victory. Um, Yeah, they're definitely some of the most satisfying. Uh, And, you know, for sure... Uh, Milan Remo is, is is that is right up there with that
0: what's your best performance physically
2: my best performance physically I think leading into the world titles in in 2014 I was probably uh, in the best shape of my career um, to win the two Canadian races sort of back to back I think I was very close to my best condition for my career uh, through that period uh, in 2014
1: Talking about you know those crossroads, and I call it sliding doors, and not just in sport but in life. Sometimes where you know you sold your car, that you know your career might have ended, and you might have gone into banking a lot sooner than what you'd thought. But um, you've had your fair share of mishaps as well, and I talk about crashes and accidents. Just run us through the. Break. I was reading about them. I was recapping your career uh, yesterday and this morning. You had a fair share, didn't you? And you got a few broken collarbones, a few pins put in. Run us through it all.
2: Oh, geez, and how is
1: the body at the I, end I of I all that? I think we'd need a
2: heck of a lot longer <laughs> podcast to run through all the, the injuries and setbacks uh, that I had throughout. But um, And it's really interesting when you go to a doctor for the first time and you've got to fill out like a, a new form in, and list your injuries. <laughs> it's like, can I have a couple of extra pages to, to put on the back of this? But um, – you know obviously i had uh, numerous broken bones throughout my career and they tend to come in waves you'll get a stint where you just seem to every time you hit the deck you're sort of breaking something
1: you, you had a, season, didn't a, whole, you had a that, season a whole season was yeah. pretty much you were wiped out weren't you
2: yeah i had an entire season i think i broke seven bones in one season alone Oof. um but you know i look back and think on dealing with those setbacks and i think being able to deal with those things is what makes you resilient uh, to be able to come back from from those you know big mishaps and work your way back up to a higher level again and that creates resilience as a as a bike rider and I think as a person as well
1: what sort of people did you lean on through those periods those really tough periods because everyone has mentors and you know famously it's been documented that Phil Anderson got you into cycling but what other people along the way who did you really want to talk to and was it your mates was it sort of other coaches or mentors along the way
2: pretty much the guys that I was working with my sort of my 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 sort of personal team that I put together, the guys that I was really close with and working on a day-to-day basis with is the guys that you really rely on in those in those situations where things aren't going well. Um, so through that period, I was working with Lee Bryan, so Rock in Monaco, on a day-to-day basis. And just having him there, um, working through those rehab programs, encouraging me to get back out on the bike every day, all those sort of things, um, they're
0: invaluable. I want to go through the transition of your career from... The guy that just got the contract into being the opportunist, and then riding for a team like Sky, but then arriving at Green Edge as one of the big team leaders, the difference in between being the guy that is just that opportunist and being a team leader, how much pressure comes with being the number one banana in a team? Uh,
2: a huge amount of pressure, and it's some guys handle it and and thrive in that environment, um, and some guys just crumble. You know, you see them; they always perform much better if they're uh, a lead-out guy or if they're the, the second-to-last guy in a mountain stage or something like that. And it's sort of – I, funnily enough, I signed on at Green Edge, and I wasn't signed on as one of the big leaders. You know, I was probably a second-tier leader behind the likes of, you know, Matt Goss and, and even Stewie, uh, guys like that at the time. But um, – that I seems think, like years ago. <laughs> yeah, but basically I think I came in again as an opportunist. So I was that that co-leader, and if things weren't going well for the main guy, then I had an opportunity to step up. And every time I was presented with that opportunity, I took it with both hands. Um, Tula became a proven performer, and I was the only option. There were many races there I felt like I had support from the entire team, but there wasn't many other guys to look to. So I was uh, it was required of me to step up shoulder that pressure um and i was able to do that for a few years but um i think i was probably had too much going on and shouldering too much pressure that it probably wasn't sustainable for long and i reckon i had the best years of my career for only a couple of years
1: Be- and because they and it's not having a, a crack at them but you're right you were there was a period where you were the only guy and they were relying on you in january weren't they january then the Ardennes classics and then okay simon come on settle up for july yeah, and then and, and I'm talking about Erica, sorry. Yeah,
2: and then obviously the end of the season as well. So I was trying to ring four objectives or four peaks out of any one season. Um, and you see some guys, they might do one or two, where I was trying to be good basically from January through to October uh, for several years in a row. And then thinking coming back to Australia and doing many other things in my downtime, whether it was some, you know, charity work or corporate sort of things on the side as well to sort of lay foundations for a a career after cycling too.
1: Yeah. So then what advice do you give to the 18, 19 year old that's coming up now? Because it's like we keep just growing these athletes and good ones uh, on trees, um, what what advice do you give? Would you give uh, a, a guy or a girl now who's coming up through the ranks and just starting to eye off maybe their first pro contract?
2: Um, I think the 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 best advice advice you can give a, a young guy coming through or a young girl coming through is to invest in yourself. You know, make sure you have a, a good living environment. Make sure just simple things like you're eating well. You, you have a good nutritionist. You, uh, you have a good coach. People that you can rely on. Have, create a really good support network for yourself, um, and people that are um, unbiased in their opinions. That they have your best interests at
0: heart only. Mm. Given your experience, and this is an advice question as well, about that leadership pressure that you had at Green Edge or Mitchelton Scott. Now that you've spent a season riding with Richie Port, and he's going to a new team, what advice would you give him as the leader heading to the tour?
2: Get a really good road captain basically Uh is a guy who 's obviously got a phenomenal amount of ability talent we 've seen what he can what performances he can put on 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 the bike, but he needs someone dictating the troops around him uh, because I think when you are in that position that he's in you can 't think about anybody else but your own performance and you have to rely on someone to be able to um, rally the troops around you, and making sure everyone else is doing doing your job. So, I think for Richie, he really needs to find someone that he connects well with uh, in track, and and make sure that they're with him uh, by his side for as much of the season as possible.
1: Is Balka Molimer? Is he that guy?
2: I don't know Balka well enough to know if he's that kind of guy, and he he sort has that leadership traits to to get everyone going and, and mm. motivated and, and behind the 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 goal of the team leader um i don't know the trek roster well enough at the moment but for sure there's some there's some guys in there that have been around for many many seasons that could uh could assist him there
1: there's so much we could talk about simon but you are limited in your time i've got one more question and i guess for your your time in the sport and i'm sure it won't end we'll see you again you'll take a little break from it for the time being but Is the sport in a good place? Is cycling in a good place? Do you think from a grassroots level right through to the professional ranks from what you've seen and does the future look bright?
2: I think the future looks bright for cycling. gives us a massive interest in the sport and a growing interest in the sport. Um, It feels like there's way too much infighting within the sport itself, at a, particularly at a professional level, from you know the teams to the CPA to the UCI to the race organisers. Everyone's sort of trying to stake their claim, it feels like, on the sport. Um, so I kind of feel like if they all got together and really pushed the sport in one direction, then the sport would really take off in a big way. But it seems to be really lacking that cohesion at the moment.
0: Now that you have retired and you can reflect on it, have you taken the time to reflect on it? And if you have... What's the resounding memory that comes through? Um, I really probably
2: haven't reflected on it well enough to sort of think back about one one sort of moment or one sort of memory from my 20 years in the sport. But I guess you know, really, what I take away from it is the the, the friendships that you create over that period of time and the and the and the mates you 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 have. And I think. You know, many of them come and go, but a lot will be sort of lifelong friends. So I think um, the lifelong friends is what you take away from a 20-year career in anything.
0: For the people that have never met you, that have only watched your race, how do you hope they remember you?
2: It's interesting because I don't think you see... Uh, you only see a very small snippet, you know. You only see the very tip of the iceberg when you're watching a race on television. You, you A lot of people have no idea um, the hard work and the preparation um, that goes into performing at the highest level. But, you know, I think within the sport and the people who know cycling and know me, I think I'd like just to remember, be remembered as, you know, a guy that did everything in their capability to, to get the best out of themselves as a bike rider. I think you've achieved that pretty comfortably.
1: Yeah, certainly have. Simon. It has been so good to having you come in again, flying back all the way from London just to talk to us. But it is seriously great to have you. Well done on a fantastic career, and I'm no doubt we'll see you somewhere around a bike race somewhere in the future. Well done.
2: I hope so. Thanks, Maka.
1: Matty Keenan, thank you very much for joining us as well. You have been listening to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Don't forget, subscribe on sbs.com.au slash Central. And don't forget, schedule a ride with our friends at Zwift. Thank you, guys. And don't forget, Christophe Mallet, he will be in the director's chair in the next couple of weeks. And it is bye for now.
0: a quick shout out from our sponsor before we go. If you're looking for a new way to ride without traffic or punches getting in your way, hop on Zwift. We use it, your cycling buddies probably use it, and the pros, they definitely use it. Zwift turned indoor training into a full-on gaming experience. Connect your PC, Mac or Apple device and you'll pedal with thousands of cyclists around the world. And there's a good chance you'll see a pro on there too. Loads of them are on Zwift on their rest days, riding around Watopia. Give them a ride on if you see them. If you've got a trainer, start your free trial on Zwift.com.